If you're a physician who wants more autonomy in how you practice or fulfillment in your life, you're in the right place. This is the Change Physician Podcast, where our guests reveal how you can learn the mindsets, skills, and strategies to create the life you want without selling out your morals or values. But before we begin, I want to remind you of the free book giveaways, guides, and other physician resources available to you at thechangephysician.com. Back to the Change Physician Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Melissa Cady, joined by my co-host, Dr. Kevin Kakaro, and our guest who is in Indiana, yay, Dr. Aaron Wiseman, who is family medicine trained, did some emergency medicine, dabbled in a lot of things, and we're going to learn a lot about her story from the beginning to now. So Aaron, why don't you tell us why you even decided to go in the world of medicine? It's a really fun story. So I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Indiana originally. And I remember the Saturday that my dad bought a box of encyclopedias at an auction. And I was digging around in them and I was like, oh, what did he get for a dollar? And I found this set of four medical encyclopedias. And I like immediately, I was probably like 10 at the time. And that was like what sparked that joy of medicine of healthcare, like digging through. It was like my first sex talk, like, oh, that's what stuff looks like. <laughs> it was all the different like disease states. And it was actually when I was in junior high, my brother developed like some belly pain and like he was sick and laying on the couch and I like go over to him and like doing like looking and like pointing in the places, you know, and I told my dad, I was like, I think Kurt's got appendicitis. And he was like, no, no. Well, eight hours later, my brother was on the OR table with a ruptured appendix. And I was like, called it, called it. And so that was kind of my first realization. Like, wow, like I can use my intellectual powers to like really make a difference and help people. Whenever any kind of animal on the farm got hurt, I was all about it. Um, I've been processing animals since I was a little kid. So those were like my first anatomy lessons. And so to me, it just like made a lot of sense. Like this was something that I excelled in. I enjoyed it. So like, why not do it? And so that was kind of like my venturing in into medicine. That is awesome. So, so you, you decide, you just take the traditional path. You go into college, decide you're going to be pre-med and go that pathway. No, actually, no, I don't do anything traditional. Are you kidding me? (laughs) So I went to college on an academic scholarship, but when I got there, I found a girl on orientation week who was playing volleyball. And I was like, listen, if you can get me a tryout for the volleyball team, I will trade you whatever you need to do. And she was like, done you try out, you get in for volleyball, you got to go try out for cheerleading. Never done cheerleading in my life, but I was like, whatever. If she can get me a spot on a collegiate volleyball team, I will give her my right left toe. It's fine. It's fine. I made it. So I walked onto volleyball team. I played collegiate volleyball. And yes, I did pay my end of the bargain and tried out for cheerleading, fully expecting not to make it. They didn't cut anybody that year. (laughs) but um, no I actually majored in biology because the college that I went to my advisor at the time was like don't go pre-med like get a degree in something that you could potentially use for other things so I got a major in biology a minor in chemistry Um, I sat for my MCATs as a junior and 
didn't like my score. So I sat for it again right before my senior year of college. And that was when some of the doubts like started kind of creeping up. Like, do I really want to do medicine? You know, because it was like that start of like, okay, like, yeah, you've been smart your whole life, but it's going to get challenging now. And so I actually looked and applied to a couple PhD programs at the time. But then when I did some soul searching and I really got into it, I was like, no, I think I want to do medicine. And then when I was doing my shadowing during college, I was like, what's the DO thing behind y'all's names? Like, are you really a doctor? I remember saying that, of course. <laughs> and the physicians that I was shadowing with were like, yeah, absolutely we are. And we do some other cool things. And what I noticed in that office that I was shadowing in was like, Dio smiled more. They like related and touched to their patients more. And I was just like, there's just something a little bit different. And so being from Indiana, at the time there was only one medical school. It was IU, Indiana University. So I applied there, but then I applied everywhere else DO. And I went out for my interview in Kansas City, and I was like, take my money. This is where I want to be. It was such a fundamentally different interview than what I had had in my home state. Instead of the look to your right, look to your left, one of you is going to flunk out. It was all about community and all about like, no, we picked you. We want you to be here. Like, we want you to succeed. And that's why, honestly, I picked osteopathic medicine because I was like, these are my people. And so that was kind of the route I went. I literally went on that interview and then I was sold after that. And so went out to Kansas City, did my two years there. Um, at the time, they had a rotation site in Evansville, Indiana, which is the big city close to home, the biggest city. That's where like Target is and Sam. So, you know, it was close to home and did my third and fourth year rotation. At the time, it was still where, as an osteopathic student, I could sign outside of the match. And so it was an MD, an allopathic residency in Evansville. And so I signed outside and got into family medicine. And that's what started my residency journey at that point. Wow. So um, when you're in that, so, you know, you, you gravitated, you, you, you found your tribe, or at least you, you found the place that you felt like called you. Um, but was there any point when you were in medical school and studying or with, with rotations that you're like, maybe this is more than I thought it was going to be? Or were, once you got in, it was like, this is it. Absolutely. There was definitely that awareness point of like, do I really want to keep doing this? And I think that's when my tenacity of like, just like putting my head down and getting things done really started to kick in. But there were points of like, hmm, this is going to be tough. This is going to be difficult. And in those first and second years, you know, it was all the knowledge base um, rather than the clinical side. I mean, some clinical, but not a huge amount. But there were at points of like, and also you got to remember, like I'm eight hours away from home. And this is the first time like I've lived outside of the state and all of that. So it kind of came like that, like coming of age, like growing up point for me to be like, like, this is my life. What do I want to do with it? Was a lot of the things that I grappled with. Um, Third and fourth year, I think that's where I was still so fresh and new that the hidden curriculum, like the things that aren't the learning objectives when you go on rotations, those are the things that I was starting to like gather in. And knowing that I really wanted to stay close to home, those were messages that I started to take into my heart. So those were things like be smart, but don't be too smart. Look nice, but don't look too nice as a female physician. And some of those other things like 
um, never be the first one to go home or um, make sure you're always asking more questions or, um, you know, you need to be reading up until like 10 or 11 p.m. and like forget about sleep and, and, you know, you're not done until, until like the last patient is taken care of. Some of those, like, I'm going to say like pathological traits as a physician that then led me into burnout. I think started in those third and fourth years because I was trying to excel so much because I wanted to be the quote unquote best doctor that I could be. Um, I picked up on some more pathological traits than what I would have liked to see for myself now looking hindsight. Did you feel like, um, you know, I, I, I speak from personal experience and talking to others. Did you feel like these pathological um, traits were affecting your personal life? 100%. Yeah. yeah, like, I think that was part of what I call, uh, what I had was like, I was building up layers. So like, if I wanted to be a good doctor, I had to look a certain way, I had to talk a certain way, I had to wear a certain type of shoe, I had to show up at a certain demeanor. Um, and I think that's where I kind of started to try to fit myself in that round hole, even though now knowing I'm the square peg. Like, like I told you guys, like, I don't fit the traditional path. And so what was I trying to do to like shove myself into that? And so I don't, I totally accept full responsibility for that. Like as a young 20 something going into my thirties, um, I accept that, you know, I had made some of these decisions. I had um, taken in either through osmosis consciously or subconsciously some of this, this messaging but I also see now that a lot of it was cultural of what it meant to be a good student and a good resident and a good doctor. It seems like the hardest thing when you're so acclimated and indoctrinated by these cultural beliefs and norms and whatnot, even if they are pathological, it would seem like, it, it seems like, and speaking from experience myself, it's hard to dissect out who are you really? Like when you have all of these frameworks that have like tried to create the structure of who you are, what you are, what you're meant to be, how you're supposed to act, how you're supposed to dress. How did you work through that? I know we're kind of getting deep here, but I, I'm wondering how, how you worked through that. Like, how do you figure out who I really am when there's so much that makes you think that you're supposed to be that when it's really not what you created? So I definitely don't learn the first time that I get smacked up head by something. I don't learn the second. It takes like a number of what I call two by four moments before I finally get the message of like, oh, oh, this is what's going on. So um, my husband and I had our, we got pregnant when I was a fourth year medical student. We had our first baby within the first couple of months of residency. And at that point, what I interpreted and, of course, self-diagnosed myself with postpartum depression was actually more burnout. And so, you know, like, I didn't want to go back to work, not because, like, I wanted to, like, stay home with my baby and be a stay-at-home mom and, like, throw my career away. I just didn't want to go back to work. But persevering through that, um, you know, I kept going. We had another baby within my third year. And, again, like, this time I was like, I'm prepared. I'm almost at the end. I can push through that sort of thing. The next milestone was like getting my first big girl job and like collecting that paycheck and buying our house here in the country in Indiana. Um, 
And when it was, I was supposed to be at the top of the mountain, like celebrating all of these accomplishments, I felt like I was in the just deep gorge of burnout. And that's, at the time, I couldn't even name it. All I know is I felt really empty. And when I wasn't empty, I felt angry and just downright just pissed. And so part of, I think, the uncovering for me was finally having enough two-by-four moments that the small voice in my heart said, not this. Hmm. And I remember the reckoning that night sitting in my house where my two little boys are like watching Paw Patrol. It's a Sunday night, you know, Sunday dreads, getting ready to go into the office on Monday morning. And I remember just being like, not this. And then being like, then what the fuck? What is it? And not knowing. And so doing what all of our patients, we tell them not to do, getting online, literally Googling how do I change my CV to a resume? Because I'm the first doctor in my family. I mean, we're primarily blue collar, hard workers. Like I was looking around seeing other people like having fulfillment in their life. And I was like, well, maybe medicine was a total fuck up for me. It was a really big mistake, but maybe it was. So how do I change this? And so this timeline is about 2014. And so I was like, then, then what do I do? Like, how do I change this? How do I reveal? Because at that point, who was I without the white coat? I didn't know. I didn't want to go to therapy. I was like, I'm not depressed. I know I'm not depressed. I know it's, it's something more and deeper. I'm not a quiet person either. So I was talking to my med school best friends, my residency buddies, other people that I had worked with. I mean, I was on the internet for God's sake, like looking for help. And what I found was just like so many other people, like you guys have mentioned before in past episodes, like just complaining about like, why did I do this? And like grouching, but no one really seemed to have like solutions. So I started looking at like non-clinical, but I was like, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Like I'm going to have to move my family if I want to do some of these opportunities. I didn't really want to jump into pharma or like medical writing. I just, I did not know. I literally told my husband, I will go work at a grocery store and check out groceries Is it, if that's what we have to do, but not this. I can't do this anymore. And I remember him asking, like, what's so bad about it, Aaron? Like, it's family medicine, like sneezes and diabetes. But I was like, you don't understand. There's like so much more to it than that. And so realizing that not really anybody could relate to me, I'm the only female physician in my whole county here in Indiana. So it's not like I could just go next door and talk to a neighbor who, who understood. I found a physician coach because I was like, you know what? I'm not crazy. I don't think I'm broken. I don't know where to go. So let's try this coaching thing and started working with her. And it was through that process, Melissa, that I reconnected with who I really was, who that sassy pants, who was not afraid to tell anybody anything where she lost her spunk and I started to like get that back because one of the initial questions that my coach asked me was what would be what would be devastating if it was taken away from you and I didn't say my kids I didn't say my husband I didn't say my friends I said my medical license and when that came out of my mouth I was like really really Aaron? like that's the most important thing to you And so then I knew I needed to like do a realignment and to like figure things out. So at the point, you know, I was like, okay, I promised my husband I would give him six months. Like I wouldn't just quit right then and there. Started working with a coach. 
And what I realized is that there was a lot of external adaptations I needed to make, but there was also some like internal permissions that I needed to give myself that I had totally like locked down and threw in the closet and like was not going to deal with those. But through the coaching relationship, I was able to work through those. Externally, I changed my practice structure. I went from a full-time to um, more of a part-time position. And during those days off, it felt like coming up from the deep end of the pool where I could just like breathe. And then knowing the next day I was going to have to take that big breath and like go back down underneath all the pressure, but it made it sustainable at that point. And so then where my journey went was figuring out like, okay, not this, what do I want? What do I not want? And what will I no longer tolerate in my life? And then how do I curate that? And that was a really interesting portion of, of coaching. But what I needed is I needed to give myself that like open space to be creative and to like figure out those answers again. Because medicine, we get set on the railroad tracks and it's like stop one, station one, med school, boom, residency, fellowship, boom, attending job, boom. But really in the real life, it's more like walking in the woods and just like finding a trail and seeing where it goes. And that you have the freedom to get off the railroad tracks and to just go around in the trail. And so that was the fun part and the interesting and the totally scary part of like giving myself time to like breathe and think and figure it out. That was awesome. Yeah, it makes me kind of um, want to delve into a little bit more though is because do you think that when your burnout sort of surface, and it sounds in a lot of ways is like it happens to a lot of people is you were in the throes of it before you really could were aware that that was what occurring where you're, you're uh, you know, you said getting angry and not knowing why, or there's this, you're kind of flailing around. And then at that point, maybe, oh, there's something wrong. But I'm trying, kind of curious because you mentioned the external and you mentioned the internal. But we know that there's all these external demands placed on the medical system. I don't think there's a physician out there that thinks this is an ideal system or is designed the right way. But, I, um, but how did you end up finding that balance between that external and the internal uh, that became happy for you or, or you know, identifing the things that, that – because uh, there's certain things you, you can't control in medicine, but there are certain things that you can mm -hmm. control. So how did you find that balance? One, so I think it's rectifying what do you truly have control of? Too many times we give our power away, like, oh, it's the administration who makes that decision, or, oh, no, I can't take a lunch break because the front desk booked me, or, you know, some, some of those kind of things. So, like, really getting in the nitty-gritty to be, like, you have more control than what you think. Because newsflash, there's actually, like, no rules. I mean, there's laws. We have to follow the laws. But when it comes down to some things, like, no, like, there's exceptions to rule. And it's okay to ask for that. So I think getting really, really super clear about, like, what is it that I can control in the situation? And if there's things that I can't control, how long can I tolerate this? Or for what level can I tolerate that? And that's what came to me is, in my situation, making the changes that I could, advocating hard. My organization was not willing to renegotiate a contract that I had just signed literally eight weeks before that I wanted to change and say, this is not working for me. But really um, learning my power and having people behind me to say, you're not wrong. Like you can ask for change. 
that's totally acceptable. And then also like realizing your power, you always have the power to walk away. Now, are there going to be consequences? Sure, there's consequences with any decision, but you always have the power to walk away. And I remember my coach telling me that because I felt so stuck and so trapped. She was like, you can always walk away. And I'm like, no, I can't. I signed this contract for three years. Like, I have a three-year commitment. And she's like, you can always walk away and remind yourself of that. And so I think that's like the external view, like really getting granular about your locus of control, knowing you can always walk away, and then realizing what are you tolerating? What's the bullshit in your life that you're tolerating? And is, is that your bullshit? And if it's not, then coming up with high-quality solutions for which to change that. The second thing is, and we may have little visitors in a minute. The second thing, no hashtag real life, it is what it is. So the second thing that I wanted to get to was those internal factors. And I think it was really understanding perfectionism and imposter syndrome. So there's a lot of literature that's coming out about perfectionists. And newsflash, if you're in medicine, you're a perfectionist. And the thing is, you can either be an adaptive perfectionist and use it as your superpower, or you can be a maladaptive perfectionist and let it continue to burn you out. And so recognizing that that's my superpower, that's one of my superpowers, that I can use this for greater good, or I can let this continue to eat away with me was a super important thing for me. And so um, leaning into tendencies and instead of always judging myself, like, oh, I'm wrong to feel this way, or other people will think bad of me if I express myself in this way, um, and understanding that that's part of imposter syndrome, like that, oh, I'm not good enough because I'm not like everyone else, or I don't belong at the table because thinking X, Y, and Z is better than me or have more education. I remember even thinking as a student, like, I'm a DO, so I may not have like as much knowledge as like my MD counterparts. And then stepping back and realizing like, no, like actually I may comprehend some topics a little bit better because I just didn't memorize them for like the test answers, but I actually like know, know the, the, the education. And so I think those are the two of the biggest things um, that helped me with my internal compass. And then, like I mentioned before, like, giving myself permission to try and maybe fall flat on my face and not be a complete and total success like I had been my entire life just to see. Because, you know, like for our drive for success, for um, wanting to be the best, to excel, is really, really a positive superpower, again, talking about it. I mean, that's what drives us to greatness. That's what helps us um, really become excellent physicians. But when does it turn and become our kryptonite? Well, for me, when that internal voice, what I call her the mean girl, when the mean girl started being the loudest voice in the choir, when that was all instead of like, hey, yeah, this is hard. A lot of people, everyone would find this is a difficult situation. The mean girl screaming like, you're a dummy. Like, you should know this. And so recognizing like, that doesn't have, this is not a solo. Like she doesn't get to have the whole play in the conversation. And so learning self-compassion was a huge thing. Oh. There, go ahead. 
<laughs> many interesting pieces of this, but um, common themes that we've seen in many, many episodes, right? There's, there's a level of awareness that has to come to say something's wrong. Uh, reiterating the fact that you always have a choice. Like that one, right, for me, I just wanted to like shout. May, may have not looked like I was going to do it, but I really wanted to because it's too often as physicians, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't. Like, well, really, why can't you? We live in a free country. It may not be the greatest decision in the world, but you have a choice. If you hate where you are, you have a choice. And just recognizing and appreciating the fact that you have that choice provides a degree of power that I think that we, we, we voluntarily either not, you know, knowingly or unknowingly give away too often where we say we just don't have this choice anymore or, or re refuse to even accept that there's a possible chance. Of choice. So I just love, absolutely love that. Um, but with this, uh, when you're looking at kind of where you're going in your practice now, how then did, well, actually in the second part about this is you mentioned kind of Googling and it made me kind of wonder we, we tend to poo-poo the internet and say all this stuff about, well, social media is bad or whatever. But the, the other advantage of it that, that we forget to recognize is I could just, what if you didn't have the internet and you didn't have that resource, right? So I'm, and I, I'm, I'm looking at you and I'm thinking, well, you just, you said, I'm the only physician, female physician in my county. And I'm like, well, if you didn't have the internet to, to start Googling and finding people to connect with in some way, what do you what do you think your support system would have been what was your your male colleague supportive of you or did you find that you had to look outside them and maybe get a different perspective because as much as we i think it's been very uh you know brought to attention this particular year is people who are like you have a tendency to be able to understand you better and a lot of times if we're not exposed to um uh, people of different uh, uh, genders different ethnicities different races etc uh, sometimes you may not find the support that you are looking for. So I'm just kind of curious what your experience is there being the only female physician in a, in one County. And then how did, how did you leverage the, you know, the internet or was it even important? The internet was huge. It's where I found community. Absolutely. My male partners, though they are great humans, they were dismal when it came to support. They didn't understand like, and I almost felt like when I talked to them, you know, it was like the pep talk for the game. Like, that a girl, go back in. You'll be all right. <laughs> like, I just want to look at them and be like, fuck you. Like, I'm trying as hard as I can. It's like my fourth grader when, or my four-year-old when she plays soccer and like by about the second half, she's like, I'm done, mom. Pull me out. I'm tired. I needed somebody to pull me out. I needed somebody to say, yeah, it's really hard. Let's, let's take a break. Like, because at that time I couldn't even give the permission to myself. Mm -hmm. And so again, they're, they're great guys. And I remember talking to one of them when I had made the decision, like I'm either going part-time or I'm quitting. That's, that's what it is. I had to, I had to say those words. And sometimes you do have to say those words to the people that you work with because they don't understand the direness of the situation. And I, my one partner was like, okay, yep, all right, like, whatever, Wiseman. And the other one, he said, Aaron, me too. There's always going to be one more patient. He said, the longer you stay in this, the harder it is to leave. I'm really proud of you. And I really keep to those words now that sitting in his office, I'm, me saying, like, I can't do this, um, was kind of some, at least some flickers of, like, understanding and recognition. 
with what was going on. Um, yeah, I mean, it really was the internet. It was finding community among other people who got me, who said, yeah, me too. That's how I feel too. I'm sorry, but medicine as a physician in my area of the world was made for men with full-time who work full-time and their wives stay home. And so I needed those examples in my life to be like, you're not a failure if you work differently than a full FTE. You're not broken because you're having these emotions and these feelings that are coming up and you don't know how to deal with it. And, and you're going to be okay. And you don't have to do this alone. And honestly, that's, that's what I found. And it was in pockets. And it wasn't exactly the hashtag potty mouth moms that I needed to be. So what I realized through all of my coaching in this is like, I needed to form that community. I needed to be the resource for those type of people. And so that's what I started doing. After being coach, I realized I needed to become a coach. After going through this coaching experience and realizing how transformational it was for me, like utterly life-changing, I looked around and I was like, so where's all the female physician mom coaches? Because we needed this shit about five years ago. <laughs> and that's where I was like, there's nobody doing this. I saw a lot of coaches who were like in career or like mid career. I saw people in the life coaching world who were doing great things, but they weren't doctors. So I was like, hmm, maybe there's space for me. And so started my business, first started coaching friends, nurses, colleagues, family, that sort of thing. But it really kind of hit it big when I wrote a Kevin and D article like 2016, 2017. That was entitled, um, of course, now I forget the title. Um, I'll find it. Yeah. Maybe it was like quitting medicine saved my life. Something along those lines. Um, and anyway, and I got this, this outpouring of so many other people who were like, I get it. Right here. Same here. And people actually started contacting me to coach them. And I was like, Wow. And then like that snowballed more and more people are like coming back to me and like, Aaron, this is really changing my life. And I was like, yeah, it changed my life. So I want to like pass it on. And it's just gotten bigger and bigger. I started a podcast in 2018 called Dr. Me First because I just wanted to talk to my people more, talk to other female physicians. And so that's exactly what we do is we just have authentic conversations about one word I make everybody pick to talk about. And, you know, through the last five years of the coaching now, I've really realized like my niche where I stand out in the market, in the world is to be like that blazing example to be like, are you burned out? Are you so crispy that you like are black around the edges? Cause you don't have to do this alone. And are you ready to like get back to that badass that you are like, come join me. Let me like show you. I'm only like five or 10 steps ahead of you. Like, come on. And so that's where Burnt Out the Badass was born. And it's just been such a fun community, helping other people to just embrace that. But like, you are a badass. You're a total fucking badass. And like somewhere along the way, all the layers like squish that. But come on over here. Like, we're going to rip all of that off. And we're going to really help you embrace that. Because that is your purpose in the world. And guess what? Medicine can help you do that. You can be a total badass in medicine. We need badasses in medicine. But we can't, you cannot be a badass if you stay in your crispy state. So let's get you healthier. Let's see what that's going to take. Maybe it's entrepreneurship. 
Maybe it's a job change. Maybe it's just like cleaning up the job that you're in right now. But all of that is possible. So speaking of all of this, you do how, what is, so that people listening have an understanding of what your day-to-day life is like, how would you describe mm-hmm. it to people? Now? Mm-hmm. So fun. So fun. What's it consist so I'm of? I'm totally eclectic. Totally like, there's no way I should have ever expected myself that I was going to go to the same office every single week for the next 30 years of my life. Like, that's just not who I am. Like, I like to change up different types of coffee every single morning. So why would I think that, like, that was all that I was going to do for my life? So now I still have a little doctor-shaped hole in my heart. So I still practice medicine, but it's totally on my terms and in the way that I want to practice. And then I'm also doing coaching and I do a little consulting and I do podcasting. And, oh, by the way, I'm a farmer's wife. So I'll be in a tractor, you know, later on this week, helping him like get corn in or I got the three kids. And so I think it was really about like embracing, like, this is me. This is me. So stop trying to fit myself in a hole that isn't me. And instead, like, let's just stand out and be like, this is it. Love it or leave it. And the great thing is I had a super supportive spouse this whole way. When I like started telling him like these revelations of like, you know, I really don't like to be complacent. He was like, oh, no, you don't. And then I remember being like, you know, I really don't like staying put in one place. And he was like, no, you never do. He was like, that's why you picked family medicine so that you could go into like a well baby check and then like, you know, COPD or then run to the nursing home and take care of something. He's like, Aaron, it just makes sense. And so I just tell people like, that is so important. Having your like circle of trust of people when you're confused about what's going on to be like, who am I? Who am I in your eyes? And now he's like, Aaron, I wouldn't have married you if you weren't a total badass. And I was like, <laughs> why did I forget that? Why did I do that? And so life is really fun. Right now. I'll be perfectly honest. I could have stayed in medicine. I could have made a shit ton more money. But you know what? Like, I'm just learning that happiness and fulfillment and joy oh, brings so much more to my life. So much more. That was so well stated. And, and I have to add on to that because I, I do think people, and particularly, and it, we see this in physicians so often as they pigeonhole themselves. They start making, they, don't, they, they lose their choice because they start living to what other people's expectations or what they think they perceive those expectations are. Like you go and you practice, you work super hard all the time, you retire when you're 30 and you have however much money you want. But um, I always kind of remember when I was in fellowship and I remember seeing a doctor, I'll never ever forget this encounter that we had. It was a pediatrician. He had a practice with his wife and they worked really, really hard, like really, really hard. And granted, they probably made an absolute difference in the community. They were, they're a mixed race couple in, in an area in Michigan that probably didn't have a lot of mixed race couples. So they're kind of trailblazing and providing fantastic medical care, but they worked hard. They were on call every other day. When he was on call one day, the, his wife was on call the next day. And then just before they were going to retire, so after 30-something years of doing this, and they're like, you know, doing the grind, and now they get to do what they want to do, he was diagnosed with small cell lung cancer. And you know, I, I just always kind of think about that because we're looking at medicine, and you kind of, there's, there's always, you don't see it as much any, well, maybe, maybe it's just the right way the internet is, but the, we see people being more and more aware of, why don't you practice to the way that you want to practice? If you want to work part-time, that's okay. 
if you want to have a small type of direct primary care practice, that's okay. If you want to do physician coaching, because I guarantee, like you were leading on to, no one else has your experiences. No one else can connect with a physician in burnout as well as you can, because you're a physician and you understand the process that they went to. And so I, I just love that your story is just, it's just demonstrating the fact that if you can, you can identify what's important to you and you start identifying who you are, you can make those changes if you have the courage to kind of step out of that role that other people typically assign. Because the other thing is there seems to be a multiple of people who want to tell you what you're supposed to do with your life. And especially in medicine, we've got the healthcare administrators, we've got, you know, whatever, the New York Times, this, that, and the other thing is saying, well, they should do this, they should do that. Um, so I just absolutely applaud your story and thank you so yeah. much. You know, and what I say too with that, with the courage, it's three C's. You left us on the edge of our C's though. You have to do the three C's C's again. Okay. The three C's. It is clarity, courage, and confidence. Confidence. Mm -hmm. Okay. There we go. Yeah. That's a good one. Well, I was just thinking about, there's so many topics we hit and we hit on, you know, self-compassion and awareness and I, I, this, this theme kept coming up in my mind about boundaries and how the boundaries that we have, we, we basically have just taken it all like almost like a people pleaser in the sense that you just keep letting the system pummel you and you never set any boundaries with others. And it seems to be like the opposite within ourselves that we create so many boundaries on ourselves Yet we should have a more free exploration, like you said, exploring in you know the forest or going on a hike or going just allowing yourself to experience yourself and know what you like or which direction you might like to change into. And so I just wanted to kind of bring up that idea of, of there's so much of what you said that's so true that we need to put boundaries on this world that keeps taking advantage of our niceness, our pleasing tendencies, and our willingness to help everyone and anyone, and open up and break down the boundaries within ourselves to explore who we are. And when we flip that script, I mean, just like this, I've never even thought about it in this way, other than boundaries on others, but there's a script we have to flip within ourselves and not just on the external world. So Thank you for the conversation because, you know, even for me, I feel like it kind of put things in a slightly different perspective. Yeah. I talk about boundaries because, you know, I'm a good farm girl. It's not just about putting fence posts up to keep the coyotes out or the crazy neighbor. It's also about keeping the good stuff in, Mm -hmm. what we want in our lives. And so I think that's really important. Kind of what you recognize about like those internal boundaries. I always call it the invisible rule book. Like we know all the rules, but we forget to share it with everybody else, but we penalize ourselves and nobody knows that we're like playing this game. And so it's like really getting into your invisible rule book. And a lot of times that's the shoulds, the should nots, can'ts. Um, And whenever you hear those words coming up, being like, whoa, 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 is that a real rule? Or is this like one of those invisible rule books rules? Yep. And then recognizing that and being like, but I can rewrite those. Mm-hmm. And that's the fun part, creating. Yeah, creating. And just like, just seeing. Like, you know, somebody asks you to do something, you say, no. <laughs> it's a complete sentence. You don't have to say anything. 
just no. And just let too many times we want to be like, oh, oh, I wish I can, but my kids got this thing, or it's my 25th year wedding anniversary. Oh, oh. no, no, it's no. And if they're uncomfortable with it, or they got to go ask another person, or they got to like figure out their own shit, that's on them. But you got to remember, set those posts, because it's not just about keeping things out, but it's like, what do you want in your life? So I want, I run a weekly group call and this past week we were talking about um, doing a time study on ourselves. You know, anybody who's like been in an office flow or OR, like, you know, you have to do time studies. Like where does the day go? And so I make them do a personal time study. Like where does your time go? And then looking at it and really assessing and being like, are the things that I say are most important and essential in my life in there or am I tucking them around the edges? Mm -hmm. on the fringes and getting really honest with yourself and being like, is this what I really want? Cause if that's what you really want, go with God. But if you continue to bellyache after you have the awareness, after you have the clarity, that's on you, my friend. Mm -hmm. And that's when you need to get more help saying no, figuring out who you are, what you want, what you're tolerating and what you no longer want in your life. Because like you said, Kevin, we all have an expiration date. We don't know what that is. But when I go out, what, exactly what I want my kids to say is, damn, she really lived. How I'm going to live that out, I do not know yet. But at the end of my life, that is, what it, that is how I want to live each day. I recently read a book that was called, um, So This is the End. And it's a fictional book based on this um, time in medicine when, when somebody dies, we're able to, like, bring them back for 24 hours. And so they get, like, the, like a little bit extra time. And so it's, this whole book is about this woman. She goes in for, like, a routine, like, ablation for, like, an, a block. And she died. And then she wakes up and... She had luckily bought the like $10,000 policy where they'll wake her up and give her her extra 24. And, and she was like, this literally is my last 24 hours and I have no idea what I'm going to do with it. Mm -hmm. And it was such a cool little book to read through. Cause that made me start to think like, if this was really my last 24, is this what I'd want to be doing? Like sitting here charting till 11 o'clock at night or covering somebody else's call so they could go do fun stuff with their kids? No, no. And I really think that we need to take this to heart because guess what? Outside of medicine, outside of healthcare, people are living their lives and they're doing okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, we've taken up a ton of your time and uh, I, I feel like I say this every time, but we could talk for probably another hour. We'll have to get you back on the show. But would you let people know where they can find you? Yeah, totally. I love hanging out on LinkedIn. It's like the happening place to be. Screw Facebook. It's way too noisy right now. Come <laughs> hang out on LinkedIn. The other place that I really love hanging out is on Instagram. Um, so LinkedIn, you can just find me, Aaron Wiseman Dio. Um, on Instagram, I love just po posting um, little bits of sass, encouragement, cute kids and my cute pictures of my kids. And you can just Google my name again and find me on that. So it's Aaron with two R's, uh, Wiseman. Or you can find it's Truth Prescriptions. So Truth RxS is the handle. 
The cool thing, like I talked about earlier, is if you're interested in moving out of this place where you're like, mm, maybe I am a little crispy with burnout, or you're just like, you know what, I want to be a badass. I, I just, I want that title. Come hang out with me on my website, Burnt Out to Badass. There's a new podcast coming out soon, and actually a book. So it's going to be the whole memoir of Aaron Wiseman, where you get to get in with the nitty gritty with me and see what my journey was from that place of burnout to total badassery. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you again for joining us on the Change Position podcast. Absolute pleasure to talk with you, to hear your, your, your journey. And there are many, many takeaways for the listeners to get out of this. If you are in a spot where perhaps you're snapping and angry and crispy on the edges, hopefully not black to your soul yet, but uh, we'll try to stop that from happening. Um, and, you know, again, thank you so much for coming on the show today, uh, Aaron. And for everybody else out there, thank you for listening to or watching us on The Change Physician. And make sure you join the community at thechangephysician.com. And we will see you in the next episode. Take care. Thank you for joining us today on The Change Physician Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please let us know by going to thechangephysician.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out the free book giveaways, guides, and other physician resources available to you simply by joining the community at thechangephysician.com.